Dave Freezer here, alongside Connor Southwell, and we are looking ahead to a rather big game. You may have heard uh, a little bit of the build-up. It's the uh, runaway Premier League champions, Liverpool, coming to Norwich tomorrow night. 5.30 kickoff on the telly. It's going to be an exciting one. Um one way or the other, I think it's probably fair to say. Mm. Who knows what's going to happen with this one, really? It's one of those where all logic says that Liverpool, you, we, I'm sure we're going to go through plenty of their impressive facts, figures, <laughs> stats, achievements in this next sort of half an hour or so. Um, but it's kind of one of those days where there's no pressure on Norwich. Everyone expects them to lose heavily. So anything beyond, anything better than that is is a great story, isn't it? Yeah, any, anything they can get out of this game is a bonus. Um, ultimately, as, as they go into the running now to try and survive, it's not going to be this game and what they get out of this game that, that is going to keep them up. Obviously, the position they're in is obviously going to make them feel a bit more desperate. But uh, I think you, you touched on it there. Everything logic in terms of statistics, in terms of numbers, in terms of quality probably suggests it's going to be a very tough afternoon but in sport unpredictable things can happen uh, we've already seen it once this season Norwich conquer a team that nobody expected them to so can lightning strike twice I suppose is the big question yeah. isn't it yeah absolutely um do get your comments and questions in and we'll try and get through as many of them as we can um before uh, before we log off uh, Connor will try to keep a, an eye on those but um yes let's kick off with the presser and a sort of rare occurrence today, wasn't it? No, no, no real injury news. Yeah, I think it's the first time, probably since that Manchester City game. Uh, well, that certainly since then that uh, we've we've been talking about a clean bill of health. Uh, Daniel Fox obviously got three centre backs, which I suppose is probably the main line to go off in in terms of team news because there wasn't a lot else. Everyone uh, beyond Tim Close, who's obviously out long term, is is fit and available. So um, that's that's great news for Norwich tomorrow. Obviously, that puts it in a complete contrast to what happened against Manchester City when they had, what, 10 injuries, I think, off the top of my head. So um, a a full strength team available. And it's now all going to be about how they utilise it and and how they can... uh, Holt Liverpool, I suppose, in, in, in their steps because they've, they've had a winter break. They're going to be recharged after a week away, aren't they? And, um, of course, I suppose uh, perhaps a wider point is that they've got Atletico Madrid away in the Champions League in, in midweek, which perhaps could be something that they have one eye on. Um, Norwich will certainly hope so. But, yeah, you, you would say certainly looking at the two sides and all the numbers and all the statistics that, that everything uh, goes in Liverpool's favour. But uh, if sport did that, then there'd be no point anyone turning up tomorrow with that. Yeah, life would be very boring, wouldn't mm. it, if everything went to the script? Uh, but Ben Godfrey back from suspension. Um, what was your, what did you make of Daniel Farker's comments on that? Didn't didn't sound to me. I mean, you and Paddy were down here, mm. down there while I was cracking on with stuff in the office. But it didn't sound to me like Daniel was uh, saying Ben would be going straight back in. No, it's interesting because uh, before the Bournemouth game, he, he essentially said if Ben Godfrey is fit and available, yeah. then he's he's the number one starting centre back. But yeah, it sounded like today he he wasn't going to to throw him in at the deep end. He said, sort of spoke about how he hadn't played ninety minutes since December. Um, he's been out for essentially nine weeks now because of the suspension and the injury. Mm-hmm. And okay, came back for for Bournemouth, but played what about sixty minutes in that. So. I, I, I didn't think he he wanted that to sort of be pinned on the fact that he changed a defence who got a clean sheet at Newcastle and um, I mean the form of Grant Hanley has, has probably contributed that to uh, as well he uh, has, has been superb really since he's come back from his injury I, I'd probably argue there was more question marks over Christoph Zimmerman than, than there was uh, Grant Hanley this week but yeah so it, it looks like he's he's, he's going to go for a, a flat back four and it, it looks like we're going to see Ben Godfrey on the bench which perhaps isn't surprising 
um, in, in terms of the way Hanley has, has been performing. But I, I think any change to a back line against, uh, against a team top of the league opens you up to criticism, I think, if you then go on to lose the game. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting one. But he obviously feels like he's seen enough in Grant Hanley and Crystal Simmons to warrant their inclusion uh, tomorrow. Yeah, I think from a team unity point of view, I don't, I don't think you could really drop Hanley. You know, he is the captain as well, which mm. does give him a, a little bit of an elevated status. I mean, we, we did go through this at length really in the podcast at the start of the week. So if you haven't had a listen to that, then then please do. And we also put out a, a bonus podcast midweek. Alex Tetty signing that new one-year contract. I'm sure you've seen um, all our stuff on on that, like lots of nice uh, comments from from Daniel and Alex on the back of that. And um, also today, uh, news, not really a surprise, is it? But all 9,000 tickets sold mm. for Tottenham. Uh, start of next month, uh, away at Tottenham, that lovely new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which will be the biggest away following since Wembley mm. in 2015. So that's something to really look forward to, because who knows what's going to happen in these mm. next four weeks. They could, after these next four games, as we've all been saying quite a lot, it, you know, it could be effectively done, yeah. couldn't it? Yeah. Um, or it's the start of something special. So um, Liverpool kicks it all off. Um, we also spoke on the podcast, didn't we, about a back three, despite all three being available, probably being unlikely. So um, we'll probably park that one for, for now. Yeah. But uh looks like we've got some comments coming through already. Nine. Yeah, yeah certainly. Uh, a very, very active start, which we, which we like to see. Uh, Rob Garnham has, has kicked things uh, straight off. Give Dermich a start tomorrow. No point in uh, Pookie. May as well keep him fresh for uh, fixtures to come. I suppose that's, that's a fair point. But then it's quite a defeatist uh, attitude to take, isn't it? I, I think not to not to play your top goal scorer for, for, the, for that fixture. I'd say there's no No, I, I, I would agree. Uh, Lynn has uh, said, hi guys, I know I'm crazy, but I have a good feeling about tomorrow. There's a lot of people out there who seem to have a really yeah. positive feeling about this, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those strange games where I suppose a lot of people feel like it's going to happen eventually and it could be Norwich. Yeah, it's sort of like a contrarian attitude, isn't That's it? That's it, yeah. I, yeah. I just, now it's got to the point where too many people are saying it. <laughs> At the start of the week, you heard the odd person say, oh, you know what, I think we might do it. I think mm. we might nick it around our office. Obviously, there's loads of Norwich fans in the office. Um, you like sort of, yeah, Ian Clark, Steve Downs, etc. Guys that you'll know from columns and videos, etc. over the years. And there's been a lot of that, hasn't there? That, that just got that little sneaky feeling that it could happen because it's it's that prime occasion, isn't it? We, we, we toyed with the front of the pink in tomorrow just being a big banana skin and just saying, watch out Liverpool, something like that. Mm. Um but we didn't go with that in the end. You'll have to wait and see what we what we actually went with. But um, yeah, it's got that feel because they're so far away, and because Norwich are you know seven points from safety at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It, it is a banana skin game for them. Could they just not be quite at their top level? Could Norwich just hit their straps like they did Manchester City? I was looking back on the stats of that game, mm-hmm. and I think it was Man City had twenty five shots, eight on target. Right. 69% of possession mm. and Norwich won 3-2. So to win one of these games, it is something unusual, isn't it? It's like an FA Cup tie where a lower league club, not quite to that extent, but a lower league club goes and upsets a big club. They catch them on a on an off day. They get the luck that they yeah. need because, you know, if it's 11 v 11, purely on ability, it's seven players in that Liverpool team who were nominated for the Ballon d'Or. Mm. So Norwich were promoted from the Championship unexpectedly last season. Yeah. We know that if you put on paper, this isn't a game Norwich should win. But there's always just that sneaky little feeling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I mean, sometimes the stars align. That Manchester City game is, is a, a perfect example of that, of exactly what you said there. The, the formula in terms of how those games um, transpire often when, when you have a, an underdog who 
beats a team that, that is a heavy favourite. And I don't think there'll be anyone outside of, uh, well, maybe even inside of Norfolk, but certainly outside of Norfolk that, that will fancy Norwich at all. And um, I mean, Jurgen Klopp pr- pretty pretty much said it today, didn't he? Everyone will think it's going to be easy, but he doesn't see yeah. it necessarily as an easy game. Now, he, of course, he has to come out and say that, but um, it, it, it does feel like all, all the pressure is off and, and they can come out swinging a little bit and, and, and just see what happens. And it's interesting because the golfing quality is, is so big that equally Norwich can play really well, as we saw in, in patches on the opening day. They obviously did a lot of things wrong in, in uh, Anfield in, in August, but they can they can still do all of those things right and, and lose 4-1. So it's, it's going to be a, a really interesting game. I'm, I'm intrigued to see which way Daniel Farker goes because the way they approached the game at Anfield was completely different to the way they approached the game against Manchester City in terms of styles. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a bit more pragmatic against Manchester City. So do they try and do that against Liverpool or does Liverpool's style mean they have to adapt again? So it's, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to see Daniel Farker's take on how to stop this Liverpool team because I suppose that's the big question because everyone knows what they do and how they do it it's about finding a way of stopping that and so far um, no team this season no team I think since uh, January last year has, has managed to beat them so it would be some achievement if, if they could do it um, I, I think the main thing though is, is the performance and making sure the quality of the performance is there because if they go and get beaten 5-0 then that's very difficult to extract any sort of confidence or, or any sort of positives from we're both wearing green, so we're, we are. we're firmly yeah. on message. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you mentioned that opening night at Anfield as well, and um, that's another side of it with Hanley, is that he's probably going to be pumped for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, After Burnley, uh, he made a few jokes in his interviews, didn't he, about, um, uh, you know, oh, that's your first goal since August 2018, Grant, and he was like, uh, apart from Anfield, sort of uh, being yeah, yeah, self-deprecating, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is uh, which is quite good of him, really. Um, but yeah, he's going to be bang up for that game because the, the, I mean that own goal was unfortunate, wasn't it? And then also the Newcastle game that they won, they should have had a clean sheet, but he stumbled, didn't he? Right mm-hmm. at, the, at the death. But since he's come back, I think it, everyone now has appreciated that not just the start of this season, but last season as well. He wasn't playing at 100, percent was he? Yeah. And certainly in pre-season, he wasn't because he was. He's told us that he was playing through the pain. He had a surgery on his hernia and his groin, separate surgeries, um, which was a big deal for him. He never had surgery like that before, um, but it seems to have worked for him. He just looks like he's moving more freely, like yeah. he was um, in that first season when he was runner-up in player, player of the season. He does, and I, and I think when you when you do play through the pain barrier, then it's, it's always there subconsciously, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's always on your mind to, to some extent and, and it probably does limit your performance, I would imagine. Um, and, and I think it, the way he plays as well, he is so combative and he does want to, want to go to a war with, with centre-forwards <laughs> and that often means that he's, he's got to put his body in, in places that means it's going to get hurt and it, if he can't do that um, with a trust in his, his uh, physicality, I suppose, and, and his... His, his muscle structure and his, his body structure, and that's going to make life incredibly difficult for the way he plays. I mean, Daniel actually said today that he thinks it's, uh, well, he, he said it's it's the best shape that, that Grant's been in since uh, he joined the club. So that that just goes to show the work that he's putting off behind the scenes. And he perhaps received a, a little bit of flack because uh, he, he, his performances haven't quite been there, but you have to understand the context. And the context is he's, he's been playing... Uh, with, with injuries and, and for any player, that's that's never that's always going to hinder them, isn't it? I think in, in terms of their performances and equally, Norwich's uh, sort of title win was was based with Godfrey and Zimmerman, wasn't it? He was out of the picture a little bit, so to completely come back in and and um, 
he's almost completely written off by by some people. But to come in and, and produce the level of performance he, ha- he has and to make Daniel Farker transition from a point where he said Ben Godfrey, if he's fit and available, starts whatever, to actually taking his place is, is quite some achievement. And, and it does show that he does have the fire in that be- in his belly and he does want to improve and, and, and be a part of this Norwich squad. And I think on, on the evidence that we've seen in recent weeks, for me, he's, he's been one of the standouts. Yeah, I mean, we're not getting carried away. We're not saying he's playing like Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> it's, it's not that long ago since Norwich got beaten 4-0 at Old Trafford. Mm. But even that day, Zimmerman and Hanley were pretty good. Yeah. It's just eventually Rashford did his did did his stuff, didn't he? And, and Norwich sort of folded like a pack of cards already on on that day. Um, but you might remember when when was that? Did do a couple of months ago when I went down to Colney to speak to Grant, didn't I? I had a one on one with him, and I came back and said he looks lean. He looks mm-hmm. like he was in great shape. But the problem was he just had a little setback at that point. So I'm sort of pleased for for him personally because um, you know he is captain and things like that as well. So. That will be interesting to see. You mentioned those Jurgen Klopp comments. Yeah. Um, there was some nice stuff in there, wasn't there? Um, along the lines of nobody's questioning Daniel Farker, um, but uh, it, and it almost feels like they're in a good moment at the moment, which yeah. is strange considering they're at the bottom of the league. And we've had this talk quite a lot in recent weeks, haven't we, about Norwich being maybe the best bottom of the mm-hmm. table team ever. And I think if you comp- compare Norwich, Villa and uh, who's the other team that came up that I'm... Forgetting Sheffield United, obviously. Oh, yeah. So far at the table, I've forgotten about. Um, They are, all three of them are significantly better than Fulham, Cardiff and Huddersfield from last season. I think it's easy to say that the Premier League is poor this season. I don't think that's true. I think it's a really competitive league, helped by the fact that maybe two or three of the traditional clubs aren't doing as well as they normally would do. Yeah, there's a few of those clubs in transition at the moment, aren't there? Manchester United, even for a Chelsea, into so yeah. that mix, the, the way they're, they're going at the moment. Arsenal, certainly. Oh, so I, I, th- I think where they're... Yeah, Tottenham again, another one. So I think where you used to have sort of those predictable patches in leagues where you could almost say who the top six were going to be and then everyone else, I think that's sort of been broken up a little bit this year and you have got teams like Sheffield United who, who are breaking the conventions and uh, are going to achieve something really special possibly this year if they get into yeah. Europe which would be a magnificent achievement um, regardless of how much money it would be incredible <laughs> wouldn't it uh, Chris Wilder up against uh, some of those Zidane Zidane for example that, that would be yeah. uh, that would be good to watch um, but Zinedine where was your bus your bus wasn't on time Zinedine <laughs> I think you get a headbutt, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, it, it, I, I think yeah, the the, the quality has, has perhaps got a bit closer. Which I think you said there is probably, although it's perceived to be a, a worse league. I think what you probably see is is a few of those top six clubs actually dropping into the mix closer to the other teams, and that's created what this season has created. I mean, there's 55 points between Liverpool and Norwich um, before we go into tomorrow, which is crazy really uh, when, and especially even more so when you consider that Liverpool have a 22 point lead in total so it's uh, it's so 33 points basically between Norwich and second which just goes to show the margins between Liverpool and everyone else but mm. so it just goes to show that this is a special side that Norwich are facing tomorrow Daniel Farker said it might be remembered as one of the best in, in history I think it certainly will be in terms of Premier League history if they go on and, and hit the heights that they certainly can Um that's quite possible they win the Champions League yeah. again. If they retained that this season as well as winning... Mm. Because they're at that point, actually, our opposition fan, Daniel Moxon, who's one of our news reporters, but a big Liverpool fan, he points out that they could win the title with what, seven, eight games to spare quite comfortably. Yeah. And then for the semi-finals, that might even be for the, say, second leg of the quarterfinals, they could 
quite conceivably end up being able to rest people in the Premier League so that they can focus on winning that. And Atletico mm-hmm. Madrid aren't having a great season either. So mm-hmm. you'd have thought they'll get um, past them. But yeah, they're in an incredible position. They really are. And it just goes, I mean, when you, when you sit down and digest it like this, it's just, uh, it really puts into perspective, I think, the scale of the task for Norwich City to tomorrow. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's such a good team, Liverpool, such a good team. Um, and for Norwich City to beat them would be incre- is, is going to be incredibly difficult. And it's going to be incredibly difficult for them to, um, compete with them realistically because of all of the reasons we've just stated. But, that you know they they have to go out there and and say to themselves that they deserve to be there and and they do after what they did last season and this is the games uh, you look forward to when you do get promoted and, and the players should be looking forward to and they should be relishing because actually against the top sides this year they've, they've performed quite well I'd say consistently maybe beyond Manchester United mm. um, who, who they've struggled against in both games uh, Tottenham certainly they, they certainly should have got something away at Tottenham so. It, it goes to show if, if they can perform and, and they can produce the quality of performance that we've seen. And Jurgen Klopp, again, put it quite aptly uh, today in his press conference in, in terms of saying Norwich, of course, 95% of teams' problems. It's, it's just that little bit of quality and little bit of edging games that they've lacked. It's, it could have quite feasibly ended up differently this season where Norwich have ended up on the right side of maybe nine or ten games and, and the points are, are looking drastically different. But they're not and, and they've backed themselves into such a corner. But... I, I, I'm not quite sort of subscribed to this idea that Norwich have to go out and enjoy it. They have to go and compete. They have to go and be competitive because they have to go and try and win, win points. But equally, they, they have to be realistic about the side they're facing. And this is probably going to be remembered as, as one of the best Premier League teams in history. So they, ha- they have to understand that and be realistic with that. But, but equally, they've got to try and conquer that and, and they've got to try and beat them. And uh, that's, that's the name of the game. Um, but they've got to do that for me in a pragmatic way, similar to, to how they beat Manchester City with all the stars aligned, as we spoke about earlier. Okay. Um, a few more comments. Um, we did sort of brush over a little bit the comment about Dermich starting. I don't think Dan- Daniel is going to start Dermich, a, mainly because of fitness. But equally, you know, Pookie has scored 12 goals yeah. uh, in the Premier League. And that, Am I adding one on there? No, it is 12, isn't it? Um, 11, I think. No, it is 11. 11. Yeah, yeah, I've added one on there. Yeah. Um, he's on 11 goals. Um, he scored 30 goals last season. Uh, I just don't see... And he's just had two weeks off. Yeah. Um, there's no midweek games until we get to that Tottenham game in what, four, three, four weeks' time. I'd be incredibly surprised. But um, anyway. Yeah, me too. I, I think if Timu Puki's fit, uh, he's, he almost facil- facilitates the way Norwich play, doesn't he, in, in terms of trying to... Um, the way they play in, in, in terms of their attacking phases and, and try and split defences open, he's so pivotal to that, I think. So, again, if, if he's fit, he starts. So, although it, it perhaps is, is a wider point about Pukki's rest. I know he's, he's obviously come off the back of a winter break, which he, he absolutely he would have needed because yeah. I, I think it was only uh, Raheem Sterling. Uh, he's the, Raheem Sterling's the only Premier League attacker who's played more minutes since August for club and country and, uh, okay. uh, than, than Timo Pukki. So that goes to show how much football mm. he's played this year. He's not really talking about no, no. Uh, I think Raul Jimenez is, is uh, joint on minutes or, or was joint on minutes with Timo Pukki. So okay. it just goes to show how much football he's played. So there is probably a wider point about Norwich's reliance on Pukki and could they have perhaps taken him off for 10 minutes here and there to, to preserve his battery life? I don't know. But um, <laughs> equally, I'm, I'm not sure that... It, they're quite in a position, and, and certainly the the desperation of their situation means that he's gonna he's gonna have to be a pivotal figure if they are to to um, start any sort of great escape. I think. 
He's a bit like the Duracell bunny when he gets going. That's how they got him charged up. Yeah, that's that is something that hopefully we can look forward to in the next few weeks seeing Timu back at his uh, back in his top level. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Absolutely, yep. A few comments. Uh, Shane has said, people are saying, don't drop Hanley. I have to agree, he's been solid. Godfrey surely has to come back in. Uh, I'm still gutted for him, as I feel he is better suited as a defensive midfielder. (laughs) What are your thoughts? I feel like this is the debate that's going to rumble on uh, forevermore. We have said it for a long time, um, quite literally going back to, uh, you know, when he first turned up as an under-23, he had been signed as a midfielder from York and then they started converting him to a centre-back. He went to Shrewsbury, um, full season as a defensive midfielder, impressed them so much. They voted him into their team of the decade, didn't they? Wow. Um, On on the basis of one season where I think he played basically every game. They got to Wembley twice. Okay, they lost them both. But they were very excited about how good he was, weren't they? I know it's League One. And then he comes into Norwich, ends up this conversion to a centre-back is completed by Daniel Farker. And you have to say that you can't knock Daniel on that in terms of how he played second half of last season, that partnership that he formed with Christoph Zimmerman. But this first half of the season was really tough on Ben in terms of all those injuries. He was the one that bore the brunt of it, didn't he? Yeah. Because he then was having to forge a partnership with a guy who'd just come in um, from Spain in Ibrahim Amadou, who maybe his confidence had been knocked a little bit by the fact that Sevilla had sort of cast him out of the club. Um, he didn't speak English very well at all mm. um, and wasn't a centre-back. So that was difficult for Ben and he had up and down moments along there. But then against Bournemouth, we saw that partnership come straight back, didn't we? And, and the passing looked better. Yeah. The impact they had on their teammates did seem to be big. So... It is an odd one with Ben. I've, I've got sort of a a fear at the back of my head that he's going to say he does leave in the summer, which seems likely. Again, we've had two more reports today, haven't we? Both in the Daily Express, weirdly. Uh, both saying 50 million, one saying to Tottenham, one saying to Arsenal. I think Norwich fans are a bit bored of hearing about that. We, It's clear that Ben's got very active agents, isn't he? We, we, we all know that he's involved with this group who Rio Ferdinand is, is a big part of. So they're banging the drum to keep his profile high all the time. And I've got this fear that he goes to an, a big club and then becomes an international midfielder somewhere. Yeah. And how sort of silly would it look on Norwich if it turns out that the best defensive midfielder they've got at the moment has actually been playing in defence. So, yes, I'd like to see it. I've been banging that drum for a long time, so I stopped it. <laughs> because, you know, you can't keep saying it when things no, are going well for him at centre-back. But I'd still... If, the, if you spoke to Ben in a, in a quiet moment when he could speak honestly, perhaps with his agent around, then they would probably say that he is still gagging for that opportunity to play in midfield. But frankly, he's 21. Oh no, he's just turned 22, hasn't he? He can't really complain. If he's playing in the Premier League at his age, given that it's not that long ago he's playing for Shrewsbury in League One, he he should, and I'm sure he is, just grateful to the club and to Daniel Farker for, for any opportunity he gets at this level. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I remember him actually playing at right back as well. I think uh, in a yeah. in a in, was it a friendly or we played against Coventry when he scored that brilliant That's goal, it, didn't yeah. he? Smashed yeah. it in from 
That's, that's yeah. So I mean, I, I think there was probably before Daniel Farker arrived certainly some uncertainty about where his best position was and Leeds as well. So just came to mind. Absolutely. Played that League Cup game at Elland Road and yeah. that was a big ask of him that night. Yeah, that went to penalties that one, didn't it? Yeah, yeah I, 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 it kind of almost feels to me like Daniel Farker's tried to give him some certainty and actually said, "This is the best position I, I see you in. We're going to mould you now in, in this position," which is understandable. He, he might go to. Uh, another club somewhere and a manager might view him in a, in a completely different light and he has to adapt again. I suppose that, not, probably those figures in, in, inside Colney would argue that's another part of his development and that's for someone else to decide. I, I suppose there's a short-term element to it as well because Norwich have to work out how they can get the best out of him in, in terms of in their squad and how he fits into their team and evidently for whatever reason they, they don't view him as a defensive midfielder. I, I wonder if there is some doubt about his technical ability in, in midfield. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, you see him spraying the balls around from, from centre-back, from mm. deep. He looks like he's got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it's an interesting one, isn't it, about what, what they feel he's lacking to, to play in that position and, and, and what that decision was. I, I suppose maybe uh, maybe Ben will, will speak about that at some point in the future. But uh, and it, Again, it would be interesting to hear his take on where he actually sees his positioning or where he sees his, his natural position being. So... It's, it's a difficult one. I, I think from a Norwich perspective, putting their business hat on, you, you probably get a bit more for a, an, an English centre-back who's, who's quite technical as opposed to a defensive midfielder, which is, there's, there's quite a few of when you think Declan Rice and, and whatnot. Maybe that's into their thinking. Um, who knows? Uh, I suppose uh, we're, we're speculating, aren't we, really? But one thing is, is for sure, they, they or Daniel Farker certainly sees him as uh, one of, if, if not the best uh, centre-back he, he has available to him. Yeah. And one thing I think we can be certain of, as much as we all rate Ben and we all think he's got top level potential, could mm. play for one of those big clubs. I don't think he's going for fifty million this summer. <laughs> if that if that's a figure that's being sort not of not unless there's some sort of auction. No. No, I mean not fifty million. I mean if they get thirty million for him, I think most fans would see that that's a really good deal. Even in today's market, mm. fifty million is a lot of money. I mean, that's what Everton signed Richarlison for, isn't yeah. it? He's a Brazil international and has scored regular goals in the Premier League. I know some people scoffed at those uh, supposed Barcelona bid in January, didn't they? But Richarlison's a very good player. John Stones, he went for fifty million yeah, to Man City, didn't he, a few years yeah. ago? And yeah. you know, but Ben hasn't performed at those levels in the Premier League yet. I know uh, John Stones has his doubters, doesn't he? And, and it hasn't gone well for him in the last year. But played in the World Cup semi-final, didn't he? John Stones, I think, off the top of my head. So I just can't see 50 million. It doesn't seem, uh, that doesn't seem accurate. But uh, anyway, it'd be interesting to see. Let's just, hope he, let's just hope he plays well for the rest of the season. That's the only thing that matters in whatever position, really. And, and that he's, he's, you know, we keep seeing a lot of rumours around, not just Ben, but a lot of the young lads. The only thing Norwich fans care about, I'm sure, is that he concentrates on the job in hand here and isn't thinking about where he's going in the summer because that's the important thing at the moment. It certainly is. Yeah, uh, we've had a few more comments, a few comments uh, about when Tim Close returns. Um, he has sort of given himself a timeline, what did he say? Uh, March, March he said. He yeah. said uh, although Daniel Farkas pretty much still saying the, the end of the season. So, yeah, it's, it's still sort of fairly fluid, but it's, it's one of those injuries that they have to take their time with, isn't it? So, uh, well, there's an international break in March, yeah. isn't there? So, um, you would have thought that Tim is probably talking back end, uh, you know, coming back into first-team intention after that. Given that he, it was a serious knee ligament injury, um, you would have thought that he's going to need some under-23 time mm -hmm. before he comes straight back into the first team because you've got to test it out properly, mm -hmm. haven't you? Um, and 
with a knee ligament injury, particularly at his age, which is what, 31, you really, really do not want a relapse because that could potentially be huge for the remainder of his career. So that knee has got to be ready and it's got to be right for him to take contact in the Premier League. Um, but the sooner he's back and available, particularly as that could, could in particular open up the potential for a three at the back, oh, um, yeah. the better. But unfortunately, it seems like it seems quite possible that Tim is still going to return too late to have a major impact on the season. Yeah. You never know, but Dan- Daniel certainly has sort of downplayed it a little bit whenever he's asked about it, hasn't he? Yeah, he has, and it, it's a shame, isn't it? Especially when you can consider his age and uh, his impact in the Premier League last time. Uh, I'm sure there's some uh, still who, who would say that if he hadn't have suffered that injury at Crystal yeah. Palace, then Norwich might have survived. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I probably would agree with that as well. So we all know how, how good he was in, in that what, half a season in, in the Premier League, and it's a shame that he didn't get a, a proper run at it. This time it has probably meant that Farker has been limited to to a two sort of a two centre back system as opposed to a three, which again I, I think maybe could have been a plan. Um, certainly to to try and in, in that period where they, where they were conceding a lot of goals and losing a lot of games, I think that probably would have allowed them to do that. But it's it's a lack of options, isn't it? And uh, you've got a feel for for closer because he was quite a, quite an integral part of what they did last season. Um, maybe not starting every game, but certainly his, his contribution on, on the squad and in the dressing room and his cameos here and there, two goals at Nottingham Forest stand out in my head. They, they were, they, they were pivotal. And um, yeah, it's a shame we've, we've not seen his quality on the Premier League stage because he, he certainly, uh, he certainly has it there and probably has a, a different set of skills to, to Norris City's other centre-back. So it's a shame we're not really seeing him, I think. One thing that that situation does mean is that if Norwich are back in the championship next season then everyone's going to be very happy to have Tim Closer still around aren't they because Absolutely. you know that he can perform well that you know he had a shaky start at that level mm-hmm. because he had to get up to speed with the mm-hmm. uh, physicality of it but his use of the ball certainly at that level is is top level so um got any more agree we certainly have uh you you would feel Buendia will go back into the mix. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's a, a good point. Uh, do you feel Hernandez will get a start? His pace might be crucial. I would imagine, uh, I, I think it's probably more likely that we see Emmy from the off as opposed to yeah. Hernandez. I'm not sure about you. Yeah, I think Buendia will probably come back in for Rup uh, tomorrow. Uh, just because, you know, his creative stats are way beyond the team in the probably bottom half of the table, let alone bottom yeah. three. I think if Norwich are going to get out of relegation trouble, they're only going to do it with Emi Buendia playing at his top level. It looks, Rippers look pretty good so far. And certainly, again, as you, as we just said, we're closer. If Norwich are in the championship next season, I think Lucas Rook could well be a, a very important player. Um, he could well have the sort of impact that, you know, Moritz Leitner did at that level um, and could do again. Who knows? But... Um, yeah, for me, if Norwich are going to score goals against a defence which has got Virgil van Dijk in and has got Alisson behind it, you know, what is it, nine clean sheets in the last yeah. ten games? Yeah. I think he's conceded six goals this season. <laughs> he did miss two months after yeah, he was injured, point. wasn't yeah, he, yeah, on the opening point. night against Norwich. That's when Alisson came in. Um, I think it's six or seven goals that he's conceded. So. If he's Norwich, not <laughs> he's he's not bad. Um, but, uh, and what did they pay? They paid like seventy million for him, didn't they? Yes. Which has proved very much money well spent. So if Norwich are okay against Liverpool to to score, but beyond that, to have any chance of pulling off this great escape, Emmy Buendia is going to be pivotal to pivotal to it, as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, for me, he's a few goals away from a, a really top move in a real top move in the summer, regardless if, if Norwich stay up or not. I think it's it's becoming increasingly likely that Emi Buendia will be either in the Premier League or, or certainly in a top European league for possibly a, a really big club because of the metrics he's produced, the quality of performances he's produced. I think he's he's shown enough this season that shows he's he's probably above the level of where Norwich are at the moment and. That again is is part of the model, unfortunately, isn't it? That, that players can outgrow the club and and get themselves an opportunity elsewhere. Who knows? Uh, there's a possibility equally that that he could stay at Norwich. But I, I think when you when you try and think about Emi Buendia in the Championship, it uh, it seems fairly unrealistic given his quality. But for me, if if Emi Buendia is fit and available, then he's in that Norwich team because uh, of the reasons you just outlined in terms of their attacking output. It is so. Uh, pivotal is so important to have him in the side because he does create so many chances and um, you've got a nice little uh, yeah. well, thing talk, Talking of which, my phone <laughs> just buzzed while you were talking there. This happened when we were doing a Facebook Live a couple of weeks ago, did, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, so this is one for the FIFA players of you out there, of which um, I actually played FIFA the other night. I played FIFA 20 for the first time. Brilliant. Did you enjoy and, it? Uh, yeah, well, I t- the, the graphics are awesome. Now. Yeah, like yeah. Messi... Yeah. I mean, I know, I know he's the cover star for the game, but Messi just looks yeah. exactly like him, um, without sounding too much like a granddad. But um, <laughs> I did, uh, I did beat my little brother. Uh, he was Barcelona, and I was Colorado Rapids. We, you know, we did the old mm. random selection, and I, I won with Kai Kamara oh, scoring twice. Well, there so you go. It was a good night. <laughs> um, so yeah, they've uh, Norwich have just tweeted that. Two players have had a winter refresh on the FIFA um, Ultimate Team stats. So Buendia has now got a gold card and is 77. And they've got his pace at 74, shooting 69, passing 78. Come on, he's better than that. Dribbling 81, defence 62, physicality 65. I think that's a little harsh. I think he's closer to an 80 and his passing should certainly be over mm. an 80. And the other man with a winter refresh is Tim Krull, who's 76. Overall rating, that is a gold card, is that, I think? Yes, it is. I think yeah. So. Yeah. Um, uh, so, what does that stand for? <laughs> D-I-V? Diving. Diving, of course, goalkeeping stats, yeah. 77, handling 74, kicking 68, reflexes 78, speed 40, and positioning 73, which, mm, not bad, not bad. Um, I, think, I mean, that's probably more accurate than, than Wendy is. Could, could potentially be a little bit higher mm. than that. But, uh, yeah, we've had a little whisper that the uh, Holland manager, Ronald Koeman, is going to be at Carrow Road tomorrow night watching the game. Uh, so that will probably be one that will be picked up by the TV cameras. Um, and, of course, he's probably primarily watching Wijnaldum and Van Dijk and the Liverpool team. But I'm sure he'll be paying uh, full attention to how Tim Krul does because yeah. there have been quotes that have come out of Holland in the last, what, six months or so that they've been keeping a close eye on him and that he is close to getting back into contention ahead of the Euros. Yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's had a great season, hasn't he? In, in, in terms of probably probably no one expected him to, to play as well as, as as he has. I think everyone probably expected Fearman to, to come in and overtake him at some point. But all that's done actually is, is pushed Krul a bit harder to to nail down that starting spot. And uh, I think from from what we've seen from from Fearman and, and McGovern, I think I think at the moment in terms of his performances, Krul is... Uh, Crawl is ahead of them, and rightly so. He's uh, he's improved no end for me. I think this year he is uh, the established number one. Who is the Holland number one? Is Sillison, isn't it? Who's at Valencia nowadays? I think it is, yeah, but he's he's um, getting older, isn't he? Yeah, I don't. I think he's fallen out of the Valencia team. So I don't think there's a standout 
lunch uh, number one but I, I guess he would keep the shirt but anyway uh, so that's uh, an added motivation for Tim um, we should probably wrap in a few minutes but uh, any few uh, remaining comments yeah I'll try and uh, rattle through so, um, uh, Dan Smith we've got nothing to lose I can honestly see us getting something uh, if we could do uh, that uh, this could kickstart a run of form that could keep us up uh, Joe McKenzie has said uh, possible 1-0 for me uh, I mean, if beating Liverpool can't spark something special, nothing will. <laughs> nothing will yeah. yeah. And uh, then Ivan Adcock has asked, "Do you see any of our younger players who are out on loan breaking through next season?" Hmm, uh, that's a difficult one to say without watching them regularly. I mean, I think Sam McCallum and Melvin City are probably slightly different examples, aren't they? In that they've come in in January. And certainly if the club's in the championship, you would expect both of them to be involved. Um, Dialang Jaisimi seems to be doing well for Swindon. You did a bit on him the other day, didn't you, yeah. in terms of the yeah. impact he's making there? He's actually out of contract at the, in the summer, although they do have an option, so they could keep him. And, you know, if Swindon win League Two as they're on course to and, and he wins promotion at that level, then you'd mm -hmm. have thought he's worth having a look at for a championship level. He certainly seems to have skills, doesn't he? Um, beyond that, the uh, the only the what well you've got Akin Fumewu who's now playing regularly in Scottish mm -hmm. Premiership. Yeah. Um, so again, I think with all of them, you can safely say the club would need to be back in the Championship for them to really come into it. But him and Rocky Bashiri, I think, um, who's back playing top flight in in Belgium, that they would both be in contention in pre season. You would have thought he's in Belgium under twenty one, isn't he? And the other one who springs to mind, Charlie Gilmore. Yeah. who's playing regularly for Telstar in the second tier in Holland. He was on the books at Arsenal. He actually played in the Europa League in a, in a couple of sort of dead rubbers for them. Um, he's a defensive midfielder. So given that's a position, although, you know, of course, Alex has signed this new one-year deal, we're still looking for the long-term successor mm. regardless of that, aren't we? So whether that's City or whether it could still be Louis Thompson, perhaps, who knows, you know? Is that on loan at MK Dons and, yeah. and playing? Um, and... Or whether it's Gilmore, so I think they're the ones that, that spring to mind, really. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Um, yeah, I think you've you've probably known them all there. I think I mean, Carl Morris, Morris is another one. Yeah, if, they, if they're in the championship, then possibly he's, he's made quite an impact at MK Dons, hasn't yeah. he? Certainly helped them climb up the table. So who knows? I, I think pre-season is going to be massive for for a number of those players out on loan. Um, Particularly, yeah, particularly, I think the centre back options and the defensive midfield options are going to be the interesting ones for me. Uh, Akin Famewu and Rocky Bashiri. You can kind of go through them all, mate. Absolutely, yeah. There's 21 of them, yeah, aren't there? Exactly. So, so I'm trying to make sure we've not missed anyone. Yeah. But, uh, I, think, I think that's the main yeah. ones in contention, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think you're right. You know, James' husband is gone now, isn't he? He's yeah. signed, for, uh, signed permanently. I mean, Sean Raggett, again, he's the same as Jai Simi, isn't he? He's out of contract, but they do have a year option on him. So um, if he were to get promotion with Portsmouth, um, then that would show that he's performed at the top level of League One, could come back in, but doesn't seem to be a, a Daniel Farkas style mm -hmm. player, does he, from what mm -hmm. we've seen of him? Um, but you never know. I mean, at least from his point of view, that would mean he's, it looks like he's got a decent future in the game. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably, probably about it. 21 players out on loan. If a club like Norwich is able to have 21 players out on loan, then I don't think that's great for the game. No, it's great for Norwich, mm. and in the accounts, it showed that uh, it had brought in two million last season as well, didn't oh, it? Gener yeah. uh, generated in in loan fees. So, uh, you know, think how much Manchester City and Chelsea and, and Liverpool bring in from loan fees. It must be huge. But uh, that's something that FIFA are looking at, aren't they? Absolutely. In terms of, yeah. you know, the, you've got a lot of players who are in development squads at Premier League clubs who would 
otherwise be at lower league clubs, which probably must mean at lower league clubs, you've got players who are professionals who probably shouldn't be. Well, I think Sam McCallum's an interesting case because of oh, yeah. you've got all of these players out on loan. It means that those uh, League Two, League One clubs are actually having to go into the, the non-league market to almost bring players up and take a chance on, on younger players. So you could argue that, that people like Sam McCallum are benefiting from it, but, but equally, it's again, it's the ethics and the morals of behind it. And, and when you can have essentially a, a whole squad of players out on loan, I don't think that bodes well for Premier League football, for for uh, world football as, as a whole. And I, I think there's going to be a point where probably in the in the, in the not-so-distant future, as, as you said about it, in terms of there being some sort of cap or some sort of regulation, because, uh, yeah, when, when you've got like uh, Chelsea essentially hoarding players and, and selling yeah, them off, probably. yeah, and they're, and they're on loan from between the ages of 18 and 24, don't play a game and then get sold for uh, a fee then that's not right for me I don't think so uh, we'll, we'll see how that gets addressed but but yeah in, in terms of the way Norwich develop players I suppose you could argue that at least they actually do try and push them through to their first team but uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure it's, it's comfortable with me having that many having that many players out online right. the other half is calling and it is Valentine's Day it is, so yeah. we better wrap it there yeah, before absolutely. I get in trouble <laughs> uh, last year I spent Valentine's Day in Surely, with Michael and Paddy doing that infamous Facebook Live. Yeah. And this year I've spent it with you, Connor. So um, <laughs> we had probably better go home and uh, enjoy what's left of it. Enjoy the rest of your Valentine's Day. And uh, let's look forward to tomorrow night. Um, should be interesting either way. Uh, we will, of course, be at Carrow Road to guide you through it all. Live updates at pinkin.com. Uh, please do come and join us. Until then, we will catch up with you very soon.